0: Just a quick note before we jump in. And no, this is not an ad, so keep listening, please. I put so much thought into the kind of episode I wanted to make for the end of the year and the start of a new one. And doing the classic year in review felt pointless because so many of my big moments have already been put on Instagram or TikTok or talked about in previous solo episodes. And regardless, When so many larger, more important things in the world are an utter dumpster fire, uh, it feels kind of brain dead and tone deaf to ask for an hour of your time listening to a summary of my successes and failures in 2022. Like, who cares? So instead, I thought about what I want to see more of in 2023 in my own life in the lives of people around me and in society as a whole and the first thing that came to mind was love i spontaneously recorded the episode you're about to hear back in april or may of 2022 when i was 6 months into a really beautiful relationship which i am now at the time of recording this little intro no longer in um even back then, I was very much on the fence about publishing the recording. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be this candid about such intimate components of my life, and I was worried I would look stupid if I made a big stink and then it ended. Listening back now is bittersweet, I have to admit, on the one hand, it's sad and still raw. You know, at the time, I thought this was it for me, that I had found the person that I was going to spend forever with. And truth be told, there's a part of me that still holds on to hope for the future uh, at a different time and mutual headspace and maybe even location. But on the other hand, watching this video version, I look so happy. My skin is glowing. My face is relaxed. I'm level-headed and well-spoken and concise. Like, I'm genuinely at peace. And I'm so beyond grateful that I have video and audio memorabilia of the place I was in last spring and how much my now ex helped me grow and how Love is really powerful and very much not overrated. I think you guys will be happy about the fact that I really lay it all out in this episode. We get we get nitty gritty. I take you through my entire relationship history and analyze all of its failures. I have so much dating experience at this point in my life, but to be honest, my romantic life did not change until I did. There are 10,000 dating and self-help books and podcasts out there, but none of them want to just tell you the truth because then they can't keep making money off of you. And that truth is success in love is largely about self-respect and specificity and, of course, timing. I really, really, from the bottom of my heart, hope that this episode resonates with even one person who is frustrated with dating or feels like they'll never find their soulmate. You will. You may even find many of them because I kind of believe that we have multiple soulmates in this life. So here's to more love, more vulnerability, and more connection in 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. Hello, 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 my degenerate angels, and welcome back to another illustrious episode of Tales of Taboo. Wow, I'm like particularly ASMR today. How are we feeling about it? Does this send chills up on down your spine? Does this make you take me more seriously as an audio professional? I feel like one time I should just do an entire episode like that. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, um, welcome back. And for those of you who are new here, my name is Allie Weiss. I am a Z-list writer, sometimes actor, general performer, professional conversationalist, and devotee of all people, places, ideas, and experiences outside the box of what society considers socially acceptable or uh, normal. I hate that my my mouth chokes up when I even say that word. So usually these episodes are comprised of anonymous confessions that I source from my listeners and their networks, sometimes weird places like holes of TikTok. Um, and I comprise episodes that give us all a look into these worlds that most of us know absolutely nothing about. And every once in a while, I will hit the microphone solo to talk about one of my own taboo experiences if I think it has some relevance to the world at large. What's funny about today is we're not really talking about anything taboo at all. Um, We are talking about something that it seems every uh, white podcaster in her 20s wants to speak about and every listener of that white podcaster show wants to ask about and it's quite frankly all anybody can really think about because that's the nature of the human experience and that topic is love and relationships. And I said for so long that when I got into a serious relationship that I wouldn't talk about it because I have always felt like this weird, not just like discomfort, but this genuine pit in my stomach watching these influencers and these public figures um, get into relationships. And obviously, you know, they're so happy that they want to show off their happiness to the rest of the world. But what ends up happening there is that this like unhealthy parasocial relationship Develops not just with the followers and the influencer, let's just call it the public figure, but also with that public figure's partner. And if the partner becomes a regular part of that public figure's content, um, if they are to break up, not only does it feel like a separation for the public figure and the partner. But it's also a separation for the audience and the partner. It always felt really strange to me that there was this pressure to then release a statement about why you broke up. Like It's already such a a, a horrible and gut-wrenching and life-changing thing to have to go separate ways from somebody you love, but then to also have to address it and field questions from people about your relationship. What a weird concept. And look, by no means do I think I am even remotely close to being famous. You know what I mean? I'm like the bottom of the totem pole. I refer to myself as Z-list regularly, but I do have an audience that frequently asks me for advice. I do have an audience that cares about what I have to say, and that tunes into my content, all of its different forms. And I just, I always thought it would be so gut-wrenching to have to kind of relive the breakup for the purposes of of telling the public, quote-unquote, about what happened. That said... I have been so, what is the right word? Like changed, moved, illuminated, enlightened by my relationship that I have now been in for six months, which of course is in the grand scheme of things, absolutely no time. So I've been single for four years. And before being single, I was in an incredibly toxic relationship with an older man that really changed me. Um, not necessarily for the better, but it taught me a lot of lessons. Um, I was really in over my head, and it it kind of set me on, on a tremendous course for, like, self-discovery. Um, and before that, in my first serious relationship, which ended when I was 20, so, oh, I guess there was three years of being single and then four years of being single. Interesting. But that first relationship, I got cheated on. Um, and, you know, I think that now being in this relationship where – of course, nothing lasts forever. Either you break up or you die. And nobody is perfect. But being in a situation that's finally healthy and nurturing and right for the right reasons is really something that, of course, I wanted. I desperately wanted. But I, I didn't necessarily was I didn't believe was attainable for me. Um, And I want to talk about it today. I don't really want to talk about my boyfriend in too much depth, but I do want to talk about my dating history and my trajectory and the lessons that I have learned along the way. Because I think that we hear so much talk about Oh here, here are the things that you need to do to manifest a boyfriend that's that's one end of the spectrum, right? And then the other end of the spectrum is here's how you fuck with a fuck boy. and then somewhere along the way, you know it's it's. An endless advice about, here are the rules. Uh, this is when you text somebody back. This is when you call somebody back. This is when you should give somebody the ax immediately. This is what we should consider a red flag. If you're tolerating X, Y, and Z, you're toxic. He's toxic. She's toxic. And it, like no one really wants to just get to the root of what a lot of our common issues are in the struggle to find love. And I mentioned this in the solo episode that I released for my birthday. But I think the most special thing about getting into this relationship is realizing that love actually is not overrated. Good love, like mature love, real love, is it it, it fills up all of your holes. That sounds very dirty. And look, let's be real, as part of any healthy relationship, sometimes that happens. But, um, you know, I, I when I was single, I think I always thought that People were um, over-dramatizing, like how amazing it was to be with their boyfriend, especially since a lot of people I knew who were posting their significant other the most were actually the least happy. And I knew so many women who were settling for men just because they didn't want to be alone. I knew knew so many men who were just like serious game players and because I had developed friendships with them and felt like I had gotten a kind of behind the scenes look at how their minds worked it made me very wary um and I also just didn't know myself at all. And I made a lot of mistakes despite getting involved with a lot of gorgeous but very um destructive people. I made a lot of mistakes along the way that, I mean, I guess maybe I wish I was a little bit more honest about so that somebody could have given me a little bit of guidance. Um, I have read many a self-help book, many a relationship book, not necessarily for the purpose of attracting, a partner but i'm really interested in that stuff from like a sociological perspective and unfortunately i know that this is going to get me like canceled from the feminist internet but a, a lot of the advice that exists in these books is actually correct um it manifests itself in strange ways again with the rules or the boundaries or things that you will and will not tolerate or like the directions of how you should look and present yourself But really what the messaging is, is that in order to have success with dating, you need to have self-respect. And that's something that I think a lot of women tell themselves that they have, and a lot of men tell themselves that they have. But in actuality, when we really break it down, we don't. We have likes and comments on Instagram We have a job that we're proud of that pays us well. We have followers. We have brand deals. We have a rich family. We have access. We have things, material things. But none of that in any way, shape, or form actually equates to having self-respect. And I think about this a lot and have thought about this a lot for years because especially in my case, you know, I am somebody who is very fearless when it comes to talking about pretty much anything publicly. Um, My show is called Tales of Taboo. I call myself the Princess of Taboo. I'm not scared easily. I don't back down easily. A little bit of online bullying is not going to make me like crawl into a corner. And more than that, I don't need a lot of external validation to feel good about myself because I believe that I have something to say. However, within the context of my relationships, all of that immediately falls to shit. Historically, always, I I have just crumbled and turned into, depending on where I'm at in my life, anywhere from uh, the submissive to a needy mess. And that always really confused me. How could somebody like me, who is so genuinely empowered in so many ways, feel so dependent on the love and affection of another? It made me question how valid I was. If if I, It made me question if I was a fraud. It made me question if I was a bad feminist. Um, but I think that this is something that a lot of people, but especially women, deal with our personality within the context of a relationship, and especially within the context of sex, does not and often is not the same as what we show to the rest of the world. So to kick off my my, uh, dating history, you know, there was plenty of I uh, should we call it foul play um, that happened when I was in high school, but I didn't actually have sex or, or really take anything seriously until my first serious boyfriend, who was a very, very, very close friend of mine and who I had grown up with. You know, we went to school together since middle school and we just kind of organically progressed into a relationship. I was in love with him for six years before he took any notice of me Um, And by the time we started dating, it all escalated very quickly because of the fact that we had known each other for so long and we're so comfortable with each other. And that's something that I really miss about school romance, high school and college. These people that you're in classes with have seen you at your worst. They have seen you coming to school late wearing shitty sweats. I mean, maybe this is different now in the like euphoria TikTok age for Gen Z. I can't speak to what's happening in schools now. All kids are very image conscious. But at least when I was there, you know, you're running late to school. You have to get to school at 8.15 in the morning, which is egregious. And I cannot believe, cannot believe that for so many years I got to school at 8.15. I could barely open my eyes at 8.15 now. But you get to school late, you have to give presentations in front of the class where you're nervous and you're fucking up. You get called on. You don't know the answer. You're scrambling to get your homework done. In college, you're high on Adderall. After class, you're like drunk and sloppy. There's really this special dynamic that exists within like school-based romances that is impossible to find in adult life in the, in the working world. Because in the working world and in the dating world, especially with apps where you're always putting your best foot forward, there's there's this removal of like... Hi, I'm Josie Toda. I'm Alisa Pascual-Pena. And I'm Yasmeen Hamidi. We're three best friends, like literally sisters out of the same womb. We're also actresses and disruptors. And the host of new crooked media podcast Dare We Say. Every week we'll dive into the issues affecting our generation from income inequality, LGBTQ rights, and the nightmare that is our landing page. This is about to get Dare We Say, He Did. New episodes drop every Thursday starting August 11th. Subscribe to Dare We Say wherever you listen to your podcasts. The the real you, the messy you, the B-side you, whereas the kids that you go to school with, like that is mostly what they see. And so although you are young when you're in high school and you're young when you're in college, I think that the bonds you create with people during that time are really authentic because they're not falling for you based on what you do for work or what your hobbies are or you know just both of you being in the in the same place at the same time in terms of like wanting stability wanting a domestic life like when you're in school people often really fall for your personality Granted, you could also be like the hot bitch in high school and people just think that you're beautiful or you can be in the best sorority in college. There's exceptions to this rule, but there's this rawness that exists within school selves that leads to these really special relationships despite everyone being young. And so I really resent um, people who just like dismiss young love as puppy love or being not real and say that love isn't real until you're an adult. I actually think that, especially in this day and age, love is a lot less real than it used to be. So, my boyfriend and I dated for three years. Um, we were long distance for freshman year of college, which terminated um, I don't know, maybe like three months before the end of school. We ended up, that was a shit show, and that's that's for a whole other episode. Um, But we got back together the summer before sophomore year, and then sophomore year is when everything fell apart. And I ended up finding out that he had started a relationship with his neighbor behind my back. And I had gone to visit him at school. They lived in the same housing complex. I would see her. I knew about her, but I didn't really know because he was lying to me, and this person that I trusted more than anybody in the world was looking me in the eye and telling lies, and I still loved him so much, and there was this love between us, there was this history between us, we didn't want to let go, but he clearly was ready to move forward, And I think an important detail to mention here also is that, as I've talked extensively about in past episodes, I was a little bit of a party princess in high school, a little bit. So, you know, for senior year, I looked old enough to get into the club. I had friends who were not in high school, friends in a variety of places. And I definitely calmed down a lot when we were dating. But I also felt the pull to have this life simultaneously to the life that we had together that didn't really involve him and it caused like jealousy issues for us and you guys also have to remember that this is against the backdrop of Manhattan so it's not like oh I want to go to a football game with like a bunch of boys we're cooler than you it's like I want to go to the club and like do drugs so you know we would like you know once we got into a fight about like me doing coke like it it was very real um also the backdrop of private school. Both of us coming from families that, you know, had traveled a lot and we were eating at nice restaurants, the whole thing was very adult. And so when we were dealing with him developing this other relationship, um, it it was difficult. It was difficult to navigate. It it felt like a betrayal on par with the betrayal that comes dating in your mid to late twenties or early 30s or beyond. Um So like I had my suspicions and I kept having this repeating dream over and over again that he was cheating on me and I was confronting him and I was asking him like, who is she? Who is she? And then I would wake up. Your dreams tell you everything you need to know. My therapist is a Jungian psychoanalyst and she always tells me to bring in my dreams and talk about my dreams and I never do it because it's like a pain in the ass. But your dreams, they tell you stuff. So we, we kind of like half rekindled that summer. I wanted to get back together. He was resistant to the label. We were sleeping together, but it wasn't intimate. Like we were having sleepovers, but it felt, it felt much more like friends with benefits, which was extremely weird to go to because formerly I thought that this person was like the love of my life. And yeah, at the end of that summer, um, I found like concrete evidence that proved that he was in like an actual relationship with this girl and they were not just casually hooking up as he had said. Um, this was not just like, oh, she's cute. It was like they they fully were in the throes of a relationship and he went back to school and they rekindled it. And I um, ignored him for the last couple of weeks of summer. And then we went back to school and I called him and I was like, I never speak to me again. Because it it wasn't I mean, of course, it was the fact that he started this relationship behind my back, but it was also like all summer, I would break down in tears, hysterically crying, being like, do you love her? Do you love her? Is this real? And he would look me dead in the eyes and say, no, 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 repeatedly, and basically tell me that I was crazy. And it turned out that my instinct was right all along. And that's disrespectful, no matter how you slice it. But um when it's coming from this person who was your best friend for six years and then your very serious boyfriend for three and they have no problem lying to you like that. I mean, it's really fucked up. So I was very depressed my sophomore year of college. And I mean, I was depressed for so many years after that and before that, honestly. Um, but that was a very difficult thing to adjust to because I had been lucky enough not only to have a high school boyfriend, but have like a very serious relationship um, with this person who knew everything about me and that I knew everything about. And so we had to skip where we got to skip all of the formalities. Then I was in college and I felt incredibly displaced. I was very different from everybody that I was around. I talked about this in my solo episode about my time in a sorority, um, what like a circus monkey I felt like and the kind of persona I adopted to deal with that. So I didn't have anything serious in college. And at the time I was really upset about it, especially since I was so frail after this breakup. And um, the closest thing that I I got to it, there were two situations, one of which was with a guy who was um, two years older than me, graduated two years ahead of me. And we would, after he graduated, we would hook up, like I would go to LA to see him And we would hook up and maybe even, like, have a sleepover, and then I would leave, and then we wouldn't speak for months after that. And I was so insecure and frazzled and, like, betrayed by my ex that just my self-esteem was so low, and I was so happy to have another— Situationship with somebody that I he and I were genuinely friends we were friends before we started hooking up and I was just so happy to kind of have that that warmth and that nurturing again that I didn't want to do anything to fuck it up by speaking up for myself little did I know at that age how old was I 20 21 that by not standing up for myself and allowing that behavior to happen I just it it was the complete opposite of the effect that I wanted. And he and I proceeded to have a very complicated relationship for like years after that and just pointed a lot of fingers at each other. We were too similar. I think that was one of my situations in which I like tried to date myself and it just didn't work. But, you know, I get cheated on. And then I have this situation where I feel super close to somebody, but every time we hook up, we don't speak for however long after that. And um, then I had a situation (laughs) This is going to be written about extensively in my book, where I took the virginity of a guy who was two years younger than me, and again, we became very, very close friends and confidants, and um, we really like developed a very real connection, and I think once I deflowered him... Um, he was just like, okay, it's off to the races and just basically disappeared. So that was like three major abandonments in a row, not to mention this guy that I developed really strong feelings for when I was studying abroad who, and I've talked about this again, I feel like a broken record, but, um, you know, who who just kind of disappeared because he was overwhelmed by the entire thing. Um, so that's like four disappearances, right? That's four people who I trusted um, to varying degrees, but for people who I thought had my best interests, who just who dipped out on me and just like blatantly disrespected me and left me with all sorts of unanswered questions. And at the time, I thought the best thing to do would be to pretend like I didn't care and that I was like above it um, because I didn't want to scare anybody else off. I didn't want to have to experience the same loss that I experienced with my ex. So by the time I graduated college, my self-esteem was at an all-time low. Put a pin in that. I went to the birthday party of my current boyfriend's best friend's girlfriend. And this happened in Southern California. And I was surrounded there by like the exact type of person that I went to college with. Like the group of dudes that we were with were just so similar <laughs> to my guy friends and the people in my classes and the people in, in at the frat parties. And sitting across from them where I am now. I was like, holy shit, it's no wonder that I did not have a serious relationship in college. That things did not work out. And you know, there were plenty of hookups in between those stories that I just told you, but I I was I had so badly wanted something to act as like a band-aid for my my high school breakup or something that could match the intensity of that and it just kept failing and it was such an amazing freeing experience, I would equate it to like doing acid and making realizations about your life where this weight was lifted. And I was like, oh my God, like it wasn't my fault that I was single. I was so... I was going to say in over my head, but not even that. I mean, I was drowning. I was drowning personally. I was incredibly depressed. I was acting out. I was unmedicated. I was behaving as somebody that I wasn't, as this insane version of me to cope with how sad I was. And I deeply regret not asking for help. I deeply regret not being more honest about how much I was suffering. But at any time I seemed to be honest or vulnerable, it would be trampled all over. You know what I mean? Um, so, So what a blessing to be able to realize that it wasn't my fault that um, I didn't have a college boyfriend. I just was not in my right demographic, nor was I in my right mind. Um, but as I was saying, I graduate college, and that leaves me with self-esteem that's in the tank. Um, this entire time, like I just felt like I never got any closure with my first boyfriend, which of course left this like gaping open wound. But also, I didn't realize at the time how much of a Band-Aid he was for me in dealing with these feelings of extreme depression, anxiety, undiagnosed ADD, mood swings, like all of these things that I had no vocabulary for when I was in high school. All I knew was that being with him made me feel safe and made me feel controlled. And he was like the wind beneath my wings. And so losing that was a tremendous first heartbreak. It was also the heartbreak of losing a best friend, but it also left this like gaping wound of all of these problems that I now had to deal with. So you can see why that spiraled out to me, you know, having many points of feeling just completely suicidal and um, and and kind of embarking on this journey throughout my 20s of figuring out how to feel good in any capacity. So by the time I met my second boyfriend, um, he he was a lot older than me. Um, I was 22 and he was 35 and he was dashingly handsome and very, very charming and kind of like Brooklyn royalty. Everyone knew him. He was slutty before we got together. And um, it it was the kind of situation where there were so many red flags from the beginning. I want to save the depths of this conversation for another episode, but he abused substances like really badly, um, was like a former addict a heroin addict and like you had to take suboxone tablets and um there were there were just so many red flags of like this person not being in his right mind but he gave me attention and he was older and i he felt strongly about me and i thought that he could teach me something about life um i look back on it now and i realize like how much desperation was involved in my decision to be in a relationship with him um And it's not something I would ever do now. And I look back on how many times I was like hesitating and hesitating. And even when he asked me to be his girlfriend, I didn't know that I really wanted to. It was just that I had been so lonely for so many years. And finally, here was somebody who wanted to take care of me. Although they clearly could not take care of themselves. What happened there was that because I was so broken and I did so badly wanted to be, want to be taken care of, I thought that if I got him sober um and I got him kind of on the straight and narrow that he would then be able to help me with my demons and all the pain that I was dealing with. And I basically just ended up becoming like an overbearing stage mom over the past uh, over the next year and a half, rather. Um our relationship was incredibly tumultuous. It was um, deeply emotionally abusive. We were compatible, but also not. Like that age difference was mental, especially because he was not somebody who acted like he was 35 and I was not somebody who acted like I was 22. I behaved in a lot of ways like I I was 35 and he behaves like he was 22. And so the roles were kind of reversed. Um, and I, I just, who likes a nitpicker? I was a total nitpicker, and he was a total mess. Um, but I was so afraid to leave because I didn't want to be alone again. And anybody listening to this who's ever dated an addict knows how unbelievably tumultuous it is to date an addict and what a toll it takes on you being with somebody who doesn't respect themselves and who will choose drugs over you. Um, and you know, I, I think that he saw me and our relationship as like a stimulant. I think we both were looking to each other to be comfort blankets, but we couldn't be because we, we didn't have enough to give. We didn't have the right things to give at that point. So that was an interesting relationship because we constantly lived in the future. We constantly talked about what life would look like if he sold his business, if we lived somewhere else, if all of the circumstances were different which was romantic for a while. But then you get to a point where you're like, what am What am I doing here if what we have in front of us is actually terrible and what's binding us together besides sex is what what the potential is? So that relationship ended, but that was yet another abandonment. It wasn't one abandonment in one foul swoop. It was like multiple abandonments of, him disappearing and not returning my calls, him going on what I believe now to be drug benders and not telling me, having manic depressive episodes, not showing up when I need him to. There, there was just this constant state of, of people not being able to show up for me. And every time that would happen, I would go further and further into a direction of, of be- becoming something that I, I didn't recognize and having more and more coping mechanisms. So that was the beginning of my four-year stint of being single, the one that I'm just coming off of. But even before that, when I was living in London and when I was in college, I mean, I used the dating apps hard. Here comes the burp. There it was. Every single episode, there's got to be one. Otherwise, you know, something is wrong I always say you can judge how well I'm doing based on the condition of my eyebrows, but in actuality, you can judge how well I'm doing based on whether or not I burp into the microphone during a podcast episode. Um, I I use the apps really hard and I I actually don't like apps and we'll talk about why. But when I was in this phase of just being so sickly, lonely and so desperate for somebody to take some of the burden of like the emotional weight that I was feeling with all my mental health issues off of me I dated like every single possible type of person I've always been somebody who's kind of identified as the wheel of fortune. I have a lot of colors and a lot of sides and a lot of interests. And I can kind of shapeshift depending on what environment I'm in, which is something I have done effectively in this show. But before I had a really healthy outlet for it, um, I was just seeking experiences on my own time. And I had no idea who I was and what I really needed. Um, you know, like the me that that I was in high school with my high school relationship, well, that had gotten shat all over. So obviously I couldn't be that person anymore. You know what I mean? Like I needed to be tougher. I needed to be sexier. I needed to be wittier. I needed to be faster. And I, I didn't I had no idea how to nurture my soul. So I thought that the way to deal with this would just be to date people who had common interests. But when you're somebody like me who has 80 interests, it's very difficult to to see who's genuinely compatible. Um, So, I mean, again, another podcast episode that I've got to make is just like dating horror stories. Also great for TikTok. And um, I'll probably cast yours as well. But there were... A, So there were a lot of years of me doing the most, going out on so many dates, sometimes scheduling multiple dates in a day and agreeing to meet with any type of person, making judgments on if they would be a fit based on whatever kind of common interest we had or judging based on like a flicker of like intense sexual passion. And a lot of the longer term things that I had situationships for the past four years were rooted strictly in sexual connection. It became a joke amongst my friends that my type was himbo. I have no qualms about liking attractive people. Um, I am who I am. That's what I like. I'm vain. So be it. But I I look back now and it is so clear to me that I was scared of like emotional investment despite the fact that I really wanted emotional investment and all I wanted was to be in a relationship that had failed me on so many occasions that I was like, okay, it's better to just get somebody hooked based on us having like a very active and very satisfying and like sensual sex life. And I also just made judgments on about who I liked based solely on how attractive I found them and and what our sexual connection was like. I disregarded so many red flags and so many clear um, dissimilarities. Is that a word? Um, if it if it felt hot, you know what I mean. And then I wondered why those things weren't working out either. And I I mean, look, I had a great time when I was single. I was able to do a lot because I had so much freedom and I was able to fluff my hair and put on a tight dress and get into all sorts of wild situations with all sorts of people. And I'm so glad that I did that. And I'm so glad that I had so many years of self-exploration now. At the time, I, I would oscillate between these kind of manic feelings of being so in the ground, depressed and lonely, crying myself to sleep, wishing that I had somebody who could really be there for me as a life partner, speaking to a God that I don't believe in, you know, asking him or her to bring me somebody. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, it it would be me being like manically high off of the people I was meeting and the sex I was having and the parties I was going to and my ability to do whatever the hell I wanted because I was not bound in that way. And those feelings of of mania were intensified every time I saw a friend of mine get into uh, relationships where she was just clearly so much better than her boyfriend. And I was like, wow, I will never do that. But along the way, and I also talk about this journey in my solo birthday episode Along the way, especially in the last two years, um, I did really serious, serious work on myself and opened up and then closed a lot of wounds that desperately needed to be operated on. Um, The pandemic really forced me into an introspective place. And even before the pandemic, experimenting with getting my drinking under control and um, my impulsivity. And, you know, I, I think that I just finally felt ready to deal with things that were uncomfortable and I was finally ready to deal with hurt. And when I say I was ready to do that, I mean like the me that I am behind closed doors, the me that I am alone in bed before falling asleep not the me who has this, you know, public facing strange career who's not afraid of rejection and who got involved in barstool sports and who spoke openly about an abortion. You know what I mean? Like rejection in that way doesn't bother me, but rejection from somebody that I I want to like or love me that hurts. And I was finally ready to face into all of this stuff. I, and and when I did that, I was finally able to connect the dots as to why I I am the way that I am, why I was the way that I was. So at a certain point, which I believe to be, how long ago was this? Okay. Summer of 2021, I was in yet another situation ship. And again, I talk about this in the solo birthday episode, but I was so unhappy with so many things about that. And it was kind of like I was at the end of my rope. Finally, I was just no longer willing to tolerate so many of these things that I had tolerated for the past eight years because I was so desperate to to be with somebody. Um, And in a moment of just not being able to deal with it anymore... I listened to a couple podcasts about manifestation and I have qualms with manifestation. I also think that there's this idea that if you, if you just say what you want and you speak it into the universe, it will appear. Manifestation is much more about specificity and discipline and decisiveness and um, working really hard to get what it is that you know you want. Um, much rather than like casting a, a spell uh, and, 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 you know, tapping into your witchy inner goddess to be able to bring about the love of your life. However, I did listen to some of these episodes um, about manifestation, and they resonated with me because I realized I was completely lacking specificity in my life In all ways. And I'm still dealing with that in certain ways when it comes to my career and my like long-term goals. But when it came to love, I just wanted to be loved. You know what I mean? Like I just wanted something that could match the the feelings of comfort and safety that I got from that first serious relationship and that every once in a while I would get from that second one. I just wanted to be loved and I didn't care who it was coming from which was the problem. I also was not clear on what it was that I really needed. I think a lot of that had to do with not quite like knowing my real self, but it was also my pursuit of a crazy story, saying yes to anything so that I had a good story to tell my girls or a good story to tell on this podcast or material for my future book, which God knows I got. But it it also... um it was it was keeping me away from asking for what i really needed and i thought i would experiment with this i said okay i'm going to sit down and i am going to make a list of what i want from a partner and unlike dating apps where what you you know you ask the question it's like oh what are you looking for and it's just so surface level and even even in how we decide who we want to match with is so surface level. We look at what they look like. Do their friends look normal in their pictures? How are they dressed? Where did they go to college? What industry did they work in? Were their answers funny? For the record, half the time people aren't even writing their own answers. Like the whole thing is just so artificial. And I, I thought back to everything I disliked about dating apps. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get really specific. I'm not going to talk about those things. I am going to list How this person carries themselves in space, how this person treats people in public that they don't know, this person's relationship to their family, how this person handles themselves in arguments, how this person makes me feel as a sexual being versus as an emotional being, and also admitting to myself that I was really looking for somebody to take care of me. It's so easy for me to say that now because I'm so far away from this early to to mid 20s or really to late 20s exploration um and, and and not wanting to admit that like I kind of wanted to be nurtured I saw that as being like a failure in some way or or going back on women's progress in some way or being embarrassing but I think had I asked to be taken care of more and postured uh about my empowerment less. I may have gotten what I wanted earlier, but that was such a major step for me, um, was saying that, you know, the relationship that I want with it or the dynamic that I want within a relationship, rather, it is much different from the kinds of relationships that I want professionally with guests on my show or people that I collaborate with creatively or even just like the friends that I hang out with. And having this list was awesome because it felt so good for the first time in in almost a decade to, to really have an understanding of like who I could see myself with. I didn't just want to feel adored and beautiful. I wanted to build something with somebody and build something with somebody who saw the real me and that I felt comfortable showing the softer more sensitive, more neurotic, geekier part of myself too. So it's not like I made this list and then the next week I met my boyfriend, but what ended up happening was that having this list made me really put my foot down in that situationship that I mentioned that I had in summer of 2021 and and ended. And then I was faced with two other situations where I met guys that I thought had potential the sexual connection was there. The chemistry was there. The banter was there. That We were kind of in the same industry. But they weren't ticking so many of those boxes when it came to, like, communication. Like, we were going out for expensive dinners and really, like, fun, adventurous, crazy dates. And the makeouts were great, you know? But, like, I, I still felt like shit because they weren't communicating in the way that I need in order to feel like the best version of myself. And having this list to refer back to was invaluable for that reason. And it allowed me to put my foot down. And putting my foot down felt shitty. I was like, fuck, another one bites the dust. The search continues. And look, I, I think... It's important to note that I made this list because I was ready to make this list. For all of those years that I was so lonely and I wanted somebody, I also simultaneously wanted my freedom. I wanted to have sex with whoever I wanted. I wanted to date a variety of people. I wanted to be a playgirl. You, You can't really want like the the true nourishment and and getting nurtured of a real relationship, but then also want to constantly be playing the field. I think it was such a big moment for me writing this list because I was ready for that. And being ready for that in a very real way is what gave me the strength to say, sure, I'm sacrificing having somebody to text, somebody to call, somebody to go out with on a Friday night, but I am saving my dignity. And that dignity came From all of these years of self exploration and from that really hard work that I forced myself to do to be able to rely on myself separately from like external validation. So in early November, I finally met the guy who was going to become my boyfriend. And the story is actually really good. I had hung out with a mentor of mine who I hadn't seen since before the pandemic and towards the end of our lunch. We were just kind of talking about like what weird things we got up to in quarantine and he was talking to me about NFTs and I was like oh man like that's that's not for me and he's like no it is and I was like nah dude it's not I barely know how to use my computer and he's like no but you love subculture and what's happening within the NFT subculture, I feel like it's grown so much since November. Like, what are we in? We're in May now. It's been however, six months. And it's like, I feel like it's blown up in such a way. But at the time, it was like no one knew anything about it. And um, he was like, you, you love subculture. And here are a bunch of nerds and gamers and people living in their mom's basement, sorry to make generalizations, guys, who are getting really rich off JPEGs. And like, partying and reinventing themselves i was like okay yeah that sounds up my alley so there was this party happening in brooklyn for the board ape yacht club if you guys know what that is it's like the primary nft community that all of the celebrities are buying for way overpriced by the way and um it's it's kind of becoming like the supreme of the nft space so they were having this party and i really wanted to go and so in classic old me fashion, I posted a, a very um, not slutty, but like suggestive photo of myself on Instagram and Twitter and was like, who wants to take me as their plus one to the board APIA Club party? Because you couldn't get in unless you had the NFT or you were somebody's plus one. So a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in three years um, hit me up and she was like, my fiance's friend is in New York and is going to this party. Do you want to go with him? Now, I had already found another guy to put me on the list. He wasn't even going and he was like, you could just take my plus one. And I was fully intending to just go to get content. I was like, this is absolutely hilarious. It's going to remind me of like the depths of Alabama and its strangeness. So I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then she sent me a photo and I was like, actually, he's cute. And um, I decided to go with him and we met and immediately it was just comfortable That's the best way that I can describe it. Of course, there was like this mutual attraction, but something about being in his presence just felt right. I felt like I could just be myself, that I didn't have to perform, that I didn't have to be constantly making him laugh. I didn't have to be self-conscious about the way that I looked or the way that I came across. And that's a detail that I didn't mention earlier, by the way, is that in a lot of my past relationships, because they were so sexually driven, there was this tremendous expectation on me to look a certain way and to stay thin and not to gain weight. And sometimes that wasn't explicitly said, but I mean, it was there. Like I knew that it was a thing. Um, and I, I constantly felt like if I looked anything less than perfect, um, that I would get abandoned. So it's like, I went from emotional abandonment to physical abandonment and here, you know, obviously I'd like put on a dress and done my hair and stuff, but I, I wasn't, that's not what I was preoccupied with. And it was the first time that I was ever meeting somebody new who I could tell I was interested in, but it wasn't this like feverish, obsessive, ah, where you just like lose control of yourself. There, there was no kind of like mania attached to it. It was this feeling of being like awash in just comfort and a stillness that was really welcome. And so we ended up hanging out a couple more times when he was in New York. Uh, we went to Art Basel together. He came to see me before Christmas. We decided to start dating. And here we are. Um, those details just like aren't as important. But what is important to mention is that having this list that I had created for myself and having a much clearer idea of what it was that I actually needed and way less of a tolerance for bullshit, this was the first time in my entire dating history as any semblance of an adult since I was 20 that I asked for what I wanted out of the gate. And this did not look like me sitting there and going, okay, listen up we need to go out for dinner 3 times a week and i need you to watch these shows with me and i need you to text me every morning and call me every night like i'm not a sociopath you know it wasn't me being like you've got to do these things or you're canceled it it was just me being very open as these topics organically came up in conversation about who i really was and the kind of person i was looking for That's something I never would have done before because I was so terrified of, like, pushing somebody away or having them think that I was coming on too strong. But I look back at my dating history and me being so afraid of not coming on too strong, I think, led me into a friend zone on multiple occasions. Or maybe not a full friend zone, but made me lose my, like, glitter over time because I I didn't have firm enough boundaries when it came to, like, tolerating shitty behavior. I was like broing out with these guys, which was not what I should have been doing. And so one of the things that I said to my boyfriend was, I don't belong in my body. And that's a crazy thing to say to somebody that you've essentially just met, like we were on our second date. It's insane. But I felt comfortable enough to say that. And what I meant by that was that, you know, as any listener of this show knows or anyone who's remotely familiar with my work knows, that I... Who I am inside does not match this this hardened exterior that I've built. And that hardened exterior is what I would show to people that I was pursuing or that were pursuing me. And, And the entire relationship would be built off of that. And, you know, I think I was also talking about my looks to a certain extent and how I think people have expectations of me based on how I look that don't match the theater geek that's inside my skin and underneath this expensive blowout. I don't know how good this expensive look, blowout looks in these studio lights, um, but it was, it was the first time in my life that I was ever just like, this is me, take it or leave it. And my honesty allowed him to be honest. And what a beautiful situation to just be two fucking adults saying, I have done this for long enough. I know what I need now. God, I wish I had done that so much earlier. And that in and of itself is the most important thing. There's two parts to that. It's It's finding genuine self-confidence and genuine self-respect that is not dependent on the validation that you get from an emotional or sexual partner. And then it's using that confidence and that self-respect to be able to calmly, and normally ask for what you want. And if you're with the right person, you shall receive. And that just set the tone for our entire, what an antiquated word, but courtship. And then our entire relationship, which is now successful because it's largely rooted in communication. We talk about everything, everything, on, on, on every corner of the star, And that's because from the very beginning, both of us were like, I don't want to fuck around anymore. Now, granted, what they say is true. Timing is everything. You can meet the right person at the wrong time. That person could be in a relationship. That person could be switching jobs. That person could be going through personal struggles that are making them not like themselves. If you meet somebody who is just simply not ready to show up for themselves, there's no way in hell that they're going to show up for you. And there's not really much that you could do about that. But the nice thing about having that list, that manifestation—there we go with the burp again—that manifestation list, and um, and having an idea of what you want is that you just you and saying it up front. You don't tolerate bullshit. You don't waste your time, and that's a massive thing that shows up in these dating books, like the rules, or you know, act like a lady, think like a man. It's all about not wasting your time and just sniffing out from the very beginning whether or not you're going to be able to get what you want in the long run. Even if you don't realize that you're not going to be able to get what you want until three years from now, a huge mistake women make is thinking that they can fix men. Obviously, there are lots of you listening to this show who are gay or pansexual, who don't fit into any particular gender model. But like, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to my own experiences, but also make generalizations and say that women as a whole in heterosexual relationships with men often want to fix men, or turn them into their ideal partner. And there's a lot of that that I've had to do in certain ways with my boyfriend. Like, we have had to go shopping. We have had some conversations when it comes to what we like sexually, um, you know, communication. Like, it's not like we just out of the gate were perfect. There were definitely some, like, bits and bobs that needed to be adjusted. But it's what I did with my former boyfriend, the one that I met when I was 22, that's really the problem is me being like, okay, there's a lot of raw potential here. I can turn this into something that's perfect for me. But what that ends up doing is making the other person resent you. You have to be willing to take the person in front of you for who they are. And it sucks when there's raw potential, but who they are still is not what you need. And going back to that point about self-respect and um, just like self-realization, there's a lot of talk about like the crazy woman trope, right? And there's this idea that women act really crazy and overbearing in dating situations, which leads men to not want to date women seriously and only sleep around, which leads women to not want to get involved with men. And it's like the cycle is endless. It's 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 really simple. Like there are two things that we just need to admit to ourselves. The first thing that we need to admit is that everybody just wants to be loved. That is what life is all about. People want to make money and be skinny and be dressed well and have the perfect hair and drive the perfect car and live in a cool city in a nice house all for the purpose of getting laid. And then hopefully getting laid turns into having a partner that you can do life with and finally have somebody who makes life a little bit less scary because life's fucking terrifying. We all want that. Like I said, love is not overrated. And it makes me sad that like, Yes, of course, my generation, millennials, but especially the younger generation, Gen Z, is so afraid to show any emotion. I think a lot of that obviously has to do with social media. And it's like the more, ironically, that you share about yourself online, the the harder it is to be authentic and to be in touch with your true self, especially when you're face-to-face with a person and not profile pic to profile pic. Um, But realizing that we have that insane desire to be loved, it it makes sense why it we can just vortex and and get sucked into that hurricane so quickly. Like somebody who you think that there's potential with gives you a little bit of attention and you're addicted to it. You know what I mean? And and then we we get so addicted to that feeling of being seen and that feeling of having comfort and that validation that I was talking about that we want it all the time and we get mad if we're not getting it enough. And so then <laughs> the tables turn and the women do become the pursuers and the women end up texting too much and the women end up putting revealing too much of themselves, putting themselves out there too much. And I obviously hate the narrative that like women asking for sex is disgusting of course, women should be asked for should be able to ask for what they want sexually, and and they should not have any shame about that. And everybody needs to get with the fucking program and wi- realize that women like sex too. Like you can hear into my voice, I get very heated about this, but I do think that what happens is all of the mystery and the exploration that is so integral to romance gets lost because we're all just focused on a feeling. And that could be a feeling that we got, like, early in meeting somebody, and now it's eight dates later, and this person makes you feel like complete shit, but you're still just holding on to that one feeling that they gave you in the very beginning. That is also why these books that advise, like, you need to get your own hobbies. You can't answer him for five hours. Like, it's not a priority. If he asks you out on a Wednesday for a Friday, you say no. Like, I I get why people get mad at that and and think that it like removes a woman's right to choose, you know, how she wants to conduct herself, but those rules are not there to su- suppress women, repress women. Those rules are there to allow you to find other outlets to feel good. And when you don't rely on a partner as much to feel good, you don't become as obsessive and it is amazing what has happened over the past couple of years um, with, I hate saying women's liberation. Women are not fucking liberated. Are you kidding? We're more stifled than we've ever been. But this this acceptance of women as sexual beings and sexual imagery and pop culture and this new wave of feminism, all of that has been incredible for women being seen as equals as they should be. But we also do need to remember that we are fighting against so many Years, like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of of women being seen as the lesser sex and the ones that need to be pursued and that are sexual objects for ownership. Not to say that I agree with this stuff, but it just kind of is how it is. We can't just expect that because there's been, A shift in the public discourse in major metropolitan or liberal areas that we or online or on TikTok that all of a sudden like the whole world is going to be able to get on board. That requires like actual biological rewiring. Um, and I also just I I don't think that a lot of stereotypes about men feeling the need to chase and pursue is wrong. Especially when you consider that there are more women in the world than men. Is that true? I think that's true. I know that there are more women than men on college campuses. So let's just use that statistic. Um, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I do feel like instinctually that's true. So a lot of this is common sense. And sometimes I get mad at myself for having read these books so long ago and listened to these podcasts so long ago, and like not being able to take the advice, but. At that point, like I, I, hadn't, I hadn't done the work to be able to be self-reliant. So again, a lot of this is common sense. Like if you spam text somebody five times in a row, especially if you don't know them that well, they're gonna think you're nuts. If you make yourself too available, they're gonna think you're easy. I think that accessibility has been um, tremendously like blown up because of cell phones and because of computers and just like how glued we all are to social media, it doesn't feel as weird to constantly know what everybody is up to. But there is an undeniable correlation between the increased use of social media and apps and people's relationships like not working out and people having a harder time meeting people And I guess I'll conclude this with the number one reason why, well, there's like a hundred reasons, but just the biggest reasons why I'm not a fan of apps, despite being somebody who has used them enough to really deserve a partnership. And look, I also want to say apps are great for certain people. If you travel a lot, if you are not home a lot, if you're somebody who suffers from social anxiety, if you have a job that takes up most of your time, there are so many situations in which apps are a great thing. I also know people who are engaged from apps or married from apps or in long-term relationships from apps. It is possible. But also with apps, it is so easy to become a number. It is so easy to be lost in, as, as one message in 20 simultaneous message conversations that are happening. I think within the pandemic and post-pandemic, like we're all lonelier than we've ever been. And we're so eager for just the hit of serotonin that comes with flirting or with getting any attention, even if that attention is a message and not actually a stare down at a bar, And speaking of a stare down, the most important thing to assess when you're realizing whether or not you like someone or deciding whether or not you like someone or trusting your gut as to whether or not you like somebody is energy exchange. It's like I was saying about that list that I was making, how somebody holds themselves in space. That is so important. How does this person stand? How does this person walk? How does this person smell? How does this person talk? Wow, accidentally I just became Dr. Seuss, but it, it's, it's valid. So it's like the animal instinct. It's like when you're walking your dog and your dog sniffs the other dog's ass. Yeah, sure, there's opportunity to do that when you meet someone on an app and then you decide that you're going to meet in real life. However, you always show up to the table with preconceived notions of what this person is going to be like. Let's be honest, most of us Google our dates or we look them up on Instagram. By the time we show up for the actual date with them, we know what their siblings look like. We know their parents' names. We know where they used to work. We know what their most recent vacation is. I'm not saying anything that you guys know to be not true. And I get why people do that. Like You don't want to show up and be murdered. But even if you don't place too much expectation on the date... You still show up having knowledge about this person which takes you out of the present and it takes you out of the joy of learning about somebody who is completely new. And I feel like I can speak authoritatively on this because that was the biggest difference between meeting my boyfriend and all of these updates that I had gone on for so many years. And for the record, meeting my previous boyfriend that I met when I was 22. We met in real life too. We were The new boyfriend... Sounds like I have a hundred boyfriends. I do not. The new boyfriend, we we knew nothing about each other, nothing. We had seen photos and we were like, okay, I approve, but we knew nothing about each other. And so it was truly starting from square one. And square one should be not, so tell me about yourself, what are your interests? Where do you go to school? It should be like either literally or metaphorically, like sniffing each other's asses, feeling each other's vibes, feeling each other's aura. Do you like that? Do you like the way that you physically, viscerally feel around another person? Because if you don't, it's probably not going to work out. And, you know, it's like when when you you go out on a date with somebody, especially when you're going out on a date with someone from an app where you've placed a certain amount of expectation on it, you can, like, have your first kiss, and the first kiss is terrible. And you could be like, oh, well, that's so annoying. Like, the kiss wasn't good, but, like, everything else was and like i i just i really like all these surface level things about him or her you you can choose to ignore it and sexual chemistry contrary to popular belief is yes it's innate but it's also something that needs to be worked towards to have like truly fantastic sex and that can even be something as simple as kissing but i guess what i'm trying to say in all of this is that the one thing that's really missing from the app game is the energy exchange and it's the energy exchange that keeps you going cuz when you're in a relationship You're not going to like your partner sometimes. You are not going to fuck with what they're doing or what they're saying. You're going to get into fights. You're going to get mad at them. You're going to be like, this isn't what I signed up for. But if you have that magnetic pull, if you have that energy exchange, that biological chemical compatibility that if you see it through long enough often turns into love it carries you through those moments that are more difficult and that often lead people to throwing in the towel too early. I feel like I've been talking for an hour and 30 minutes already. This is what happens when you lock me in a white room with no windows and three ring lights that are knocking me unconscious. So I I don't want to continue rambling for too long. So I decided it was a good idea to do this episode, despite it not being traditionally taboo, because we see so many videos on TikTok of people telling dating horror stories. And we see so many tweets and memes on Twitter about everything that is wrong with the opposite sex. And we just generally speaking have never heard more of an ongoing conversation about how lonely and visible we all are and how difficult it is to find somebody. And I just thought it would be valuable to cut through the muck with my own story and my own experiences because I do wish that there was more of this when I was lonely and struggling. And many of you may listen to this episode and disagree with everything that I had to say. That's fine. Like, we are here to disagree. We are here to have a conversation. And if you have strong disagreements, please email me, ali ally at or send me a DM on Instagram, at aliweissworld. Like, let's talk about it. But from my particular set of experiences of colossal heartbreaks and making a lot of the wrong decisions and acting in ways that I look back on and I'm embarrassed about, I figure I could share that knowledge for somebody who may have had a similar experience. And for those of you listening who have never had any dating troubles, well, I envy you. And something bad is probably going to happen when you're middle-aged. Anyway, guys, I so appreciate you tuning in for another, god, at this rate, yeah, probably an hour and a half of my voice. I don't know how you do it, but it does mean the world to me, and I am looking very much forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. And until then, be good. Once again, my degenerate angels, I'm Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. Congratulations on surviving another trip into the underworld, and make sure to collect your souvenir photo on the way out. Just kidding. There is no souvenir photo, but there is merch on my website, www.allyweissworld.com. We've got the cutest sweatshirts and G-strings ready to cover your body in love. But if you're pinching your pennies, but still want to support the most helpful thing you can do is leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. I know all hosts ask for this and it's high key annoying. But in my case, the more reviews the show has, the easier it is for new listeners to find the show and become future anonymous contributors, which means more entertainment and powerful life lessons for you also please tell a friend and an enemy about this episode if you think it will resonate with them because word of mouth marketing means i won't have to do something that will embarrass you all like participating in an instagram giveaway anyway i hope that you enjoyed your hour with me and i look so forward to seeing and hearing from you next week until then be good Follow Tales of Taboo on TikTok at Tales of Taboo and on Instagram at Tales of Taboo Pod. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Ali Weiss World. Tales of Taboo is part of the EVE Podcast Network and a Forever Dog production. Produced and narrated by Ali Weiss. Edited by Isabel McMahon. Executive produced by Mariah Nicholas. Intro by Chris Duffopolis. Forever Dog Productions is Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm.